0: You wrote down, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? Oh, That's two
1: wrong. But the correct right response is, what were the real names of Cary Grant, Tony Curtis, and Joan Crawford? Be that as in May, Alex, those people have never been in my kitchen. Welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast about sports and the law, with your host, me, Gabe Feldman, Tulane law professor and co-director of the Tulane Center for Sports. Today is a special two people who have never been in my kitchen edition of The Pod with Rich Eisen and Cousin Sal. Rich has an unsigned honorary law degree from Tulane Law School. Sal has a mostly unused law degree from Turo Law School. Both have been on the cutting edge of sports and media and neither of them has ever been in my kitchen. As most of you know, Rich Eisen was the first on-air talent in NFL Network, he was the host of NFL Game Day Morning, the host of the Rich Eisen Show, and was a longtime SportsCenter host from 1996 to 2003. And cousin Sal, co-host of Fox Sports Bet Live, longtime co-host of Guest Alliance podcast with Bill Simmons, and founder of Extra Points, a new media company focusing on sports betting and comedy. Join us to discuss the future of sports media, the impact of gambling on the NFL, football in the time of COVID, the misery of being a New York Jets fan, and much, much, much more. Here we go. Welcome, Rich. It's good to see you. Good to
2: see you, Gabe.
1: All right, let's jump right in. We're recording this on the day after the Jets-Broncos
2: game. Okay.
1: You had a great rant this morning about Thank the you. Jets on your show, which followed a rant previously about how the Jets had broken Sam Darnold. Yes. A fellow lifelong Jets fan. Yes. And we're, we're about the same age. What do you think is the low point for the franchise? I'm going to take some things off the table that you can't choose. The butt fumble, obviously. Uh-huh. Well, Bud Bowl. that was a playoff game. So I don't even think that really counts. Drafting Br- Browning Nagel, one pick after Brett Favre was drafted. Uh, and then maybe last night. But what's what
2: what's. The oh, God. Oh, you? my God. I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to go Trumpian on you here, but the best is yet to come, Gabe. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just a long slog, man. And it's so disappointing, again, that. It's three years in and you see Josh Allen perform the way that he's performed with the Bills and Lamar Jackson, the way he's performed with the Ravens and both of those quarterbacks were chosen by their teams because the Jets decided not to take either one of them is it uh, the system the franchise that makes the quarterback or is it the quarterback who makes the franchise and the system and the answer basically comes in it's got to be a combination of both that the talent's got to meet the moment and the moment's got to be uh, created for the talent and the Jets just don't do that and they don't <laughs> have it you know they don't get the the heavens don't open up and drop russell wilson or patrick mahomes in their lap or deshaun watson who again the jets had an opportunity to take and went jamal adams instead and that we all know jamal's not even there on the the team anymore i could sit here and lament you know and i I do say all the time on my show that the lamentation is personal Uh, I, i could sit there and bitch about the bengals too but in this case with what's going on with them this year and Sam Darnold, and the fact that Trevor Lawrence is sitting out there for the first overall selecting team, this is a national story right now. And who chooses number one overall is a national story. Whenever certainly there's somebody of Lawrence's stature, ability, name, recognition is all together. So that's important. Uh, So what stage of grief are you in? (laughs) It sounds like depression. Uh, The drinking stage. Um, I think that's what it is. It's five o'clock somewhere. As I said at the end of uh, the Jets game, it made me feel like it's five o'clock somewhere and it was nine o'clock at night where it was for me. So that's where I am right now, Gabe. Where are you?
1: I'm somewhere between anger and depression Uh, and with a a dash of false hope. I, I really thought early on last night that maybe something was happening?
2: I don't know. Obviously, circumstances are are set up where you trade your best defensive player away before the season, and you're building for the future right before you need to evaluate your future in the quarterback of your present and hopefully future. And then uh, on top of it, they already had one of their best defensive players already opt out due to COVID-19, CJ Mosley. And then all of the injured wide receivers on top of it, Le'Veon Bell just adds to the whole factor, at least none of it is mononucleosis. So, you know,
1: (laughs) we're we're COVID so far. So that's, that's good. Right. I'm also a Mets and a Knicks fan. So I'm, I'm used to this feeling. I've lived with it most of my life, but one of your other loves, University of Michigan. Yes. And you've called it the heart and soul of the school in that very cool pep talk you gave
2: to the team. I don't know if those are still called pep talks. Do we still call those pep talks? Yeah, sure. The, uh, I think, uh, I guess, just being inspirational, I think is what we Inspirate call it. Inspirate talk.
1: How do you feel about the Big Ten reversing course yeah. and football returning when, when students aren't back on campus at all the schools? And, and I don't know if you saw today, but there was a story about a bunch of the college coaches who've said that they're not sleeping at home. They're staying away from the home because they don't want to put their families at risk of contracting COVID.
2: It's terrible, man. I mean, it's obvious how COVID attacks the weakness of any ecosystem, any economy, any home life, anybody's orbit, whether, you know, it's your also your anybody's obviously DNA, your health, your body. It just takes it finds the weakness and it just presses the button and continues to hit the pressure point. And for college football. It is probably even with college basketball or anything collegiately, I would say, where you can't bubble up like a professional sports league or in the case of baseball and football, bubble up like a professional sports league in your own home facilities and quarantine and use the dollars and cents to equally create a protocol and testing strategy. College football just does this. Too many schools, too many programs, too many And so the already the inequities already of the sport will be intensified. And then the ability to actually continue on with the sport will be threatened by the fact that even if you are able to test and trace and quarantine, when they step outside, they're on a college campus with 18 to 22 year olds. And it's it's so difficult if you can trust test and trace and and create something that does provide the entertainment and the economic value for a school that's necessary for a survival of a program or a school or anything like that. I'm for it and hoping that whatever might happen for on the health and safety front doesn't come home to roost in college. I, I guess it's as simple as that and hope that it works because it's important to so many people and I know it's important to the actual student-athletes online student, on-field athletes right now. I guess we got to get used to it. Right.
1: In Tulane, we're both in-person and on the field. So we're, we're at least consistent there. And, sure. and our doctors have done a great job. And we'll see what happens. Switching gears, you were called, I think it was the Daily News, part Dan Rather, part Ron Burgundy. OK.
2: And, I'll take it. Yeah. are you? And, did you do research for this interview, Gabe? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you I, did? I'm trying to thank you for finally, yeah, finally noticing. Okay, and, no, so I just wanted to make that. Them, okay, make good. I'll take it. Sure.
1: Yeah. You know, I haven't talked to you in a little while, so I wanted to it's see if been anything, a while. Sure. anything new. Uh, and apparently, I'm not. There's nothing new. It's because I had to bring things up from 2012. <laughs> but you're sh- moving to the Peacock. Yes. And in a lot of ways, you've been at the front of the evolution of sports and entertainment, broadcasting and and the way we consume sports and entertainment from your days at at Michigan and school paper, and then to doing stand-up comedy and then this crazy idea of a twenty-four hour sports network and sports and then the crazy idea of a league owned network and the NFL network. And now on to what you've called the the next chapter of Sports Talk with Peacock. How is this chapter different from the other chapters? And then what chapter in the next 10, 15 years, you
2: think? It's a good question. And that's what I'm assuming the next chapter of the 10, 15 years is the world of streaming, which is one of the things I'm very excited about to be in the streaming world with Peacock, which is such an important venture for a major media company that has tons of platforms and products from the sports world and the entertainment world and NBC universal for me to be in the world of sports and entertainment and trying to straddle that line and be in a world that has Sunday night football and the voice along with trolls, the movie, and I could go in its uh, library. That's the good stuff or the good place to use another NBC Universal <laughs> nice. uh, product. I'm thrilled about that. Certainly in this day and age, you want to be part of something that you could be uh, seen live. So my three hours every day is something that's live. And so is the NFL game day morning or the draft or the combine or anything that I do for NFL Network. So I'm thrilled to do something live. But then you also need to have something on demand. Like, um, say, your podcast game or the podcast world that I started the first podcast with the NFL in 2011, I wanted to just do something so I could talk to people and not just be the traffic cop of a a television hosted show. So um, doing something that is not only live, but on demand, viewing on demand, listening is crucial. And then you just have to add to uh, a component that's not just audio and visual, but you have to add to this component of streaming. That's the way of the world. My kids who could come and barge in here in my office at any moment, even though they know when dad's office doors are closed, it's alone time. They're 12, they're 9, they're 7. And they don't turn on the satellite TV, they turn on the Apple TV. And they know that um, even though a show was on last night, where do you find it? They know. And they are also not, you know, averse to watching on a screen this large, which I am, to be honest with you, being 51. I like sending something from my phone to the television, which is another aspect of streaming. So the fact that I'm on a streamer and that's the main economic engine of the show, I'm excited about. It's something that I'm, I'm curious to learn about things like cost per minute and how to make a product of news and information, sports talk and infotainment and stream it. And that's also got a, an on-demand portion of it because not only is it live um, on Peacock, which is also a new aspect of streaming too. Not all streamers have a live component to it. Peacock's the first and I think they've cracked the code. And I think pretty much every other streamer from here on out and others that are very popular are going to want the same thing. I love planting the flag here. i help plant a flag on NFL Network and here. I'm a professional flag planter. So I'm enjoying it.
1: I remember, I think it was actually at an NFL media presentation where uh, an executive said that he had asked his teenage daughter what, if, he, if she knew what network the show that she was watching was on. And right. she looked at him and said, Dad, what's a network?
2: I know. Right. I mean, that's it. That's literally is it, you know, and and they know like they love a show, uh, you know, uh, Guy Fieri show. They know that they got to find it on the Food Network app and they go to the app store. I mean, and these are the future consumers of television in our country, in our world. And that's the way it's going. You know, and I, you know, you hear the NFL ratings or NBA ratings, they're down. I don't think people are counting total eyeballs when they say that sort of thing. So um, that's the way of the world, right? And digital world and the social media world and streaming is obviously part of that.
1: So now that you're on Peacock, does this mean we're going to have even more cameo appearances on on shows? Your IMDB page is is pretty incredible. It's
2: deep. It's playable. It's deep and it's playable, Gabe. Yeah. I like surprising people. I like getting a text every now and then, Hey, I just binged, you know, Billions, where the hell did you come from? Or the show Dave on FXX, you know, I I popped in there. My favorite one is I'm Sorry, which is Andrea Savage's show. And um, the invective that was, I guess, that my character engendered on that broadcast that I see it every now and then in a hashtag on Twitter. It's not nice. It's not great. Uh, People will actually even say it to me when there was uh, fans in the stands, they would scream stuff like that to me, but... I'll take it. It's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. It was a good show. It's a good appearance. It is fun. Uh,
1: so on the future of consumption of sports, yeah. Uh, one of the major developments, obviously, in the last year or so was the legalization of sports gambling and at the state level, but the Supreme Court saying that there was no longer federal prohibition on it and states can do what they wanted, and we've seen more and more states do it. And there was the assumption that that was going to fundamentally change both the way many fans watch the game and why they watch the game, and then also how the game is distributed and and produced. How much have you felt that so far, or has it not happened yet?
2: I don't know. As you know, the NFL, despite putting a team in Las Vegas, Nevada, and has DraftKings as an official sponsor of X, Y, and Z, it's still verboten for us to be on the air and say half the stuff that Brent Musburger said on the air when he came on my show today. It's not, we're not there yet. And I still don't know if fans want uh, a lot of their news delivered through that prism. I'm not fully aware of that yet. I haven't heard that. I don't know if there's ever going to be a gambling red zone where the NFL will just essentially have a fantasy red zone for people with fantasy, which is kind of a soft core gambling, to be honest. Right. Um, and also an actual gambling red zone channel where they're showing the game and basically saying, Hey, if this team scores these points right now, you're screwed or the odds are that they're going to score right now. So you, you need to get on this bet that's available right here, right now. And the NFL will give their, or any sports league gives their uh, thumbs up to that sort of use of their content during a live broadcast. I don't know if we're going to get there in our live times or not. It's possible that we'll get there. I don't know. But uh, all all I do know is that there is a a ton of interest based uh, on sports through people who gamble. And I think more and more sports leagues with certainly, I guess like in uh securities and exchange commission eye in the sky that looks on everything and they might be more comfortable with it one day and, and to the extent
1: that sports are so valuable and popular because of the uncertainty of outcome and the need to watch it live sports gambling is only going to make that even more extreme because uh, i guess
2: or or make it ex- extinct if people do dumb stupid stuff you know sure. True. Um, so, but then again, again, as an NFL employee, I don't know what you're talking about, Gabe. I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't I, I'm confused by this whole conversation. I don't know what yeah,
1: you mean. No, I get it. I get it. I, I appreciate you playing along <laughs> as if you did know, uh, the, so, on that note, we spent a lot of time back in 2010 when you we did
2: NFL. Where I lost a lot of this hair, Gabe.
1: <laughs> what that, I have to imagine was one of the worst professional
2: experiences of your career. Having a lockout. Well, other than working with you and getting to know you and, and, you know, spending a ton of time with you. But yeah, I mean, being on the air and talking about uh, a sport in the midst of a lockout where we didn't know if the draft that was going down would actually lead to a playing season or free agency that was being paused. We had no idea what the rules were going to be. We had no idea if there were going to be games and we had to go on the air and talk about it as if it was happening. It was dreadful. There was no other way to put it, but it did lead for me to become somewhat of an expert in labor law, leading me to get an honorary degree from you that you didn't sign. Um, So uh, there's that.
1: And in
2: a way, there's a similarity right now, or at least there was with not knowing if there was going to be a season with COVID, the same way that I had to become a sportscaster with a major in sports with a minor in labor law. I've become a major in sports and a minor in epidemiology, trying to learn about protocols and the the way to be smart about COVID and getting teams on the field and what sports leagues need to address and what making sure I I made sense with my questions, talking to a handful of chief medical officers, which I've never really uh, been used to. But so it, it kind of got me used to learning another endeavor on the fly to try and make something heads or tails of something for my viewership and listenership. We're we'll also trying to make them smarter.
1: And that's that's what I raised, is actually. I was going to ask you which was more difficult or which has been worse. And oh, gosh. Obviously, putting aside well, the fact that the pandemic is
2: hurting millions of people. Yes. One is life and making... death, Gabe. Yeah, What's yeah. the matter Hold with
1: you? On. I was going to say putting that aside. Which is, that
2: aside, yes. Uh-huh. Other than that, this is Lincoln. Oh man, I mean, with the with the lockout, we were talking about billions upon billions of dollars for uh, on the table, and to be at the forefront of a network that was owned by a sports league, but also uh, successful because it was viewed as, and still is, thankfully, as an independent an independent body that spotlights the greatness and the humanity of the players. That is a very important part of being the host of NFL Network, is not only obviously talking about the NFL, but also making sure that everybody understands that 99% of the players are great community men and also fathers and uncles, or in the case of Brett Favre, grandfathers when they're playing, and charitable humans who are terrific members of society and husbands and dads and uncles. I mean, to basically make sure that the players had their point of view brought across as well as feel comfortable being interviewed during a lockout. It was quite a tightrope act that I'm glad that we negotiated well. And, and to be honest with you, Roger Goodell uh, helped provide the, I guess, room for it. The number of times that he would remind me that I could ask him any question and not have to get it cleared And be absolutely fine with after interviewing him and let's have Jeff Saturday of the Colts on. He was a very, as you know, prominent player rep and have him on. We interviewed him in studio during the lockout for 28 minutes and they aired every last second on NFL Total Access. So I think it was very important and I'm thrilled that uh, it led to 10 years of labor peace and now another collective bargaining agreement that, thank goodness, in my mind, got passed. Because without it, I don't know if there'd be a playing season right now. Right, right. Last question, because I know you got to go. Sure. Uh, you talked about the
1: dispiriting experience of grocery shopping. Yes, sir. And the pressure and, and no the of milk. So here here's my idea. I, it's my, I think it's a billion dollar idea, which is okay. I like to share them publicly so other people can take it. Why isn't there a GPS app for shopping? Yeah. Where You type in your grocery list and it tells you exactly where to go.
2: I think here's how it goes, Gabe, that every barcode should be chipped so i walk into a a a store and i turn on the app for this specific store and i'm like i want this device and and it just sends off i I know if i'm getting warmer or hot colder or hotter or warmer and i know that i'm getting close to it I love it, Gabe, because I can't stand the anxiety of not finding something in the store and knowing that I've been sent for one specific brand, one specific item, one specific gluten free item or something with flaxseed or whatever that I I couldn't tell the difference. And I panic. I freeze. But again, this is a me problem. I don't want to blame it on my wife or anyone else. It's a me problem. I I freeze. I just need to breathe and take it one uh, item at a time, one aisle at a time. And hope for the best. We're
1: you know? all great shoppers. We're all great shoppers. Just take it one item a two. It's all
2: in, It's all inside us to improve, it it Gabe. Is. Yes. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate the time. I got you, man. You take be care. Be well. All right, Gabe. You be well, too. Okay, everyone. Before we get to part
1: two, I am proud to announce that Between the Lines is sponsored by RitVest. RitVest, sponsoring podcasts and making you Google the name for no reason since 2020. Even though I've spoken to the CEO and call him a friend, I don't understand what Ritvest does or why he's paying me to read this, and I don't endorse his services or products yet. I am appreciative of his sponsorship. Now on to part two of the pod with cousin Sal. Here we go. Welcome, Sal. How are you doing? (laughs) What's up? buddy. I'm driving home from Fox bet
0: live. And then I have another interview after this. I mean, I don't understand why uh, yours is going to be a little different and good for you, but, uh, you know, I, I, give out 40% winners on TV and, and yet I have all these <laughs> radio interviews. I don't know why anyone wants to hear from
1: me. Well, I'm actually not going to ask you for your gambling tips, but I, but I do want to, I do, I do, this is a podcast about sports and the law. So I, I have to ask you, you went to law school. Why did you go to law school? Truth is, um, I had nothing else
0: to do. I graduated college, Oswego State University, an upstate college in New York. And uh, I had a job lined up with my cousin, Jimmy. I was going to be a phone screener slash writer on his radio show. He was a DJ in Tampa. And then before I was supposed to go out there, he called me and I'd gotten into law school, Toro law school, just uh, as a backup. It was in Long Island. And he called me up. He's like, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to law school. I was like, oh Jesus, really? And I think the idea was he was going to hire me as a favor, but his boss told him, you're not going to get a raise if you get to hire your cousin. And I think he had like two kids and it was rough. It was rough going up back then. So. We put off uh, him bringing me out to to his world for a while, and I went to law school. That was it.
1: And are you ashamed that you went to law school? Because you, you, you <laughs> never talk about it. It's really hard to find.
0: Yeah. Uh, ashamed? I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, no, that's the right word. No, I'm not ashamed. I guess it just doesn't come up much. And also, a lot of people just wouldn't believe it, so I don't feel like putting the extra 20 minutes into convincing them. But yeah, I did go to law school. I, I hated it every step of the way. It's funny. I entering law school they had orientation and i asked a few of my fellow classmates are you guys i said do you play fantasy football at all and like i had asked like 25 of them before i i hit one that actually did and you and i play but yes we're we're very much involved in fantasy football but one of them said yes i do but i'm gonna have to drop the league because law school starts i was like oh no 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 i can't i can't do that and maybe that's why i i carried like a C plus average all the way, uh, every year of the three years. But uh, yeah, I remained a big football fan and degenerate gambler all through law school, but I finished it and I got a job as a real estate lawyer. It seemed the least confrontational of all aspects of law. And, uh, I I don't know, you know, I was on the East coast, they use lawyers to resolve the the real estate transactions. And, uh,
1: that's what I did. I was really just pushing papers for like 30 banks. And then I had had enough. I, I I had to quit. You were a C plus student, which was an improvement over undergrad, or was that about your? <laughs> well, no. I, I you know I mean you have
0: to have even going to the crappiest uh, law school, you have to have decent grades uh, to get in. So I, I I did well. I did fairly well uh, at college to to get into law school, but LSATs and and uh, I took Barbary courses and all that and didn't 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 score so high on the, on the bar and uh yeah so it left me um you know i failed the bar twice so that was another reason to push me the hell out of uh, a law and uh at this point my cousin jimmy had a game show and he hired me as a writer on the game show when ben signs money so i left new york and, and went to
1: california and that was that and how many times has Toro asked you back to speak, given all the wonderful things? <laughs>
0: you know, they haven't asked me to speak. I think they're a little nervous about that. They do ask for a lot of money here and there. And then I, and I think to myself, I'm like, uh, I just got done paying my school loans. Like I, I, I had enough a bunch of times to pay it off. But I think the fact that I was dinged for $500 a month for 20 years or whatever it was, like it was a reminder of me to tr- strive to do better. And obviously I didn't use a penny of that or I didn't regain a penny of that, except for the first year as a real estate attorney uh, in the legal profession. So uh, yeah, I finally paid off the bill a couple of years ago and, and hung it on the refrigerator for like six months.
1: Even though it, you hated every second of it, did, you, did it help you at all? Did you learn anything in law school that you used at any point in your life? Yeah, I think so. You know
0: what it is. It teaches you how to argue both sides. I think that's a, 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 a valuable technique, even in sports gambling and analyzing analyzing a game. Like, you have the Chiefs and the Patriots. Like, all right, uh, what can I make a better case for, the Chiefs or the Patriots? Like, all right, Belichick as an underdog, uh, does this. He's 8-4 blah, blah, blah. I can list stats and I'll go to the chief side and Mahomes is 11 and one, uh, nine, you know, nine and three against the spread as a favorite of five to eight points. So I stacked both sides. It's like which one, which plays heavily, the New England side or the Kansas City side. And I think, I think, at least I tell myself that it wasn't a complete waste of time that surprisingly I'm using these skills I learned in law school to better my sports gambling career.
1: So, meaning if you hadn't gone to law school, you might be doing worse than 40%? <laughs> That's right. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Who has done less with their law degree, you or Clay Travis?
0: Well, he actually went to uh, – I don't even really listen to him speak. But he told – I think he went to the, the the Caribbean and was an attorney there for like three or four years. And uh, I imagine he's going to get sued a lot down the road. So, I don't know that he's used it more uh, up until now, but he'll uh, – I'll definitely make use of it in the next few
1: years. To to sports gambling, when I was actually on your pod a few years ago, we talked about the Supreme Court case. That opened the door for legalization of sports gambling at the state level. What changes have you seen from it? Has it changed your gambling your profession the the way you talk about it or you think about
0: it yeah well you know we started up a uh extra points podcast network I started that up because I got funding from FanDuel and I feel you know all these major players FanDuel DraftKings you look at you look at the stock numbers before the pandemic and after like it's one of the few areas that's gone up um you know so there's a lot of interest there's a lot more interest now I think because states are poor because of uh covid and uh you know whereas they were slow playing the legislation um now they they see you know new jersey pennsylvania make sixty, eighty million dollars a year off a of handle they really can't turn that money down so they're kind of like putting that on the docket and they're voting on it and i think these states we all knew they would legalize eventually but um you know i think it's going to happen at a faster rate now that said there's some of the leagues are still a little skittish because the bigger states like New York and California and, uh, you know, Texas and Florida, still not kosher in those states. Illinois just uh, just ratified, so they're good. I think it's going to take a couple years to catch up, but we're in a good spot in terms of, like, stocks and every – I don't know if you follow it, but, like, every third day – there's some big, crazy, incestuous signing between William Hill and Palace, and it's for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, what the hell? Where is this money coming from? So nobody wants to be left out, as, as you know, as far as the major players go in the gambling space. But as far as I talk about it here, look at Sports Center, look at all the highlight shows. All they do, the first thing they do is if there's an upset in the French Open or the U.S. Open or something, you know, 16-year-old whoever beat Serena Williams, like, all right, what were the odds? Immediately, you're going to hear the odds via Caesar Palace or Fandle or DraftKings or wherever it is. So I think like commentators and sportscasters alike are taking advantage of it and recognizing that sports gambling is here to stay.
1: When you were thinking about working with your cousin and and then with that detour in law school, was sports gambling, did you think you'd make a career out of it or you thought you'd be writing? What was the the goal or the plan?
0: I, I really didn't know. I mean, Jimmy was good enough to hire me as a writer on all his projects. Jimmy came alive for like 17 years and Crank Anchors and The Man Show. And I later hosted Win Ben Stein's Money and, you know, so a, a little push from them. But it really wasn't until fairly recently that I thought, you know, I thought all these gigs would help support my gambling addiction. But the fact that I'm talking gambling on TV every day, that's that only happened like five years ago five or six years ago I had the Sports Center gig every Thursday night I would give out three games and then uh, Fox bet Live is like been doing this for two and a half years but well, before that it was Bill Simmons and I on um, on the ringer and on Grantland before that and on ESPN.com, we did a podcast and we still do it's called Guess the lines where we would bemoan our losses from Sunday night and look ahead and try to predict the spreads for the following week. And like I said, we've been doing that for 14 years. But even then, there wasn't a ton of money in it. But now I can actually you know, support myself and my family until I go uh, dead broke, which is inevitable.
1: So do you consider yourself... I, I just I was just had Rich on the pod. I think he'll be sharing this pod with him. And the Daily News referred to him as a cross between Dan Rather and Ron Burgundy. Well, you're kind of the modern Jimmy the Greek plus what's the other half of it?
0: I think I'm... Uh, Jimmy the Greek and Jimmy JJ Walker, I think. The two if I had a combined two Jimmy. I don't take myself seriously and I think that's why I've gone uh, gotten as far as I have in this business, because first of all, I think it's boring to just start listing stats. It's nice to support your opinion, but you can find all that anywhere. You can go to any website and find that. And I think I try to mix entertainment in there. And that way, you know, when I'm screaming my head off about the Cowboys and if they're going to cover, um, there's at least something for someone when they lose by uh, 14 this weekend to the Browns, you know. So uh, I try not to take myself seriously. I think that's a, a key to, like, my success, as I said, or what, whatever limited success I've had in the field. So I try to make that a big focus.
1: And. So we've, as you mentioned, we've been involved in in some fantasy sports leagues in the past together. And I I want to ask you now, when I offered to do a, or suggested that we do a fantasy draft of old Major League Baseball All-Star games (laughs) back in March, yeah, and you said no, one, I was offended. Two, I ended up doing it with my college friends, and we did it for about 15 years until we started getting close enough that we remembered some of the outcomes, Really, And, and it worked really well. I have to say, you you missed out on an opportunity. Wait a minute. I can't believe I said no. This is this year I said no or you said years, yeah, years right. ago? It was right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was when there was nothing else to do and no live sports. I said, let's let's.
0: Oh, let's all right. You- oh, this was the this was the all star games that were already played. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, no, nothing personal. And obviously, I like to, any chance to lose money. But I was so down on sports gambling back then and all the sim games. And, you know, I even lost $90 when sports went away betting. What was it? It was like camel racing, like in India or something. It was something, some crazy just to just to whet my appetite and i bet on all those horse competitions and i just got real salty at the world at some point and i i think i you got caught in the crossfires i apologize how did that end up did you win yeah i mean i don't like to brag about
1: winning fantasy games events that have already happened you shouldn't i did i did pretty well uh how do people not cheat these are games you have the results to right because we're an honest group that's why oh yeah the number of lawyers. I, guess, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine anything worse than cheating at a old Major League Baseball All-Star fantasy game. But yeah, but, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think our friend Brian Gourds probably would have done that. that. That's the one I was worried
0: about. If you would have gotten him out of there, uh, I probably would have joined. The
1: last couple of questions. You mentioned the podcast network. What's the vision? for
0: it. I don't know. No, uh, we want to start small. We have six podcasts going, you know, I brought against all odds, which is the degenerate trifecta, three idiots I grew up with. Uh, we we gamble on everything that's on the network. Uh, there's a flagship show called extra points, a broader look at sports with me, Dave Damischek, and Charlotte Wilder. There's a comedy uh, podcast that integrates odds in it. It's called laugh lines. That's me and Rachel Benetta. And then we have regional show. Well, we have a fantasy show with Jerry Ferrara and uh, Gen Piacenti, it's called Waiver Wired, that's twice a week. And then we have regional shows to satisfy FanDuel's, you know, commitment to the Northeast and the Midwest, Jeff Schwartz is a host on one of those and Rob Parker and TJ Houshman's that. So we want to start small, we want to grow bigger, we want to we have a production company that hopefully will start servicing TV shows and the like uh, on the network and or stemming from the network and, and then we'll see. And then, you know, if Spotify offers me like $300 in a month, I'll probably take it for the whole
1: thing held out for 350 but if you need a lawyer to help you negotiate. <laughs> I probably will. I probably will. <laughs> uh, and then the the 30 for 30 the, on the 1986 Mets.
0: That's, oh, yeah. Tell me about that. That's exciting. That's coming out in the fall. It's uh, Jimmy Kimmel and I, a guy named Nick Davis is putting it all together. We're interviewing, you know, all the players that are still around from that 86 team, my favorite team of all time growing up, gigantic Mets fan, as I know you have an opinion on this team as well. And I sat there, we interviewed Lenny Dykstra, and he gave us two hours. And a lot of it was gibberish, but then uh, there's a lot of uh, crazy usable stuff. I mean, that team was unbelievable. Now I know they did something with Gooden and Strawberry, and the interviews and the footage I've seen, these guys really let loose and talk about the partying and the fighting. And that team really had no business, as talented as they were, they really had no business making it as far as they did. And I'm not even talking about the ball going through Buckner's legs. Um, Just getting there was a collection of uh, misfits, but it all came together. And that's going to make for a great documentary. It's not coming out until the next fall, but uh, it's going to be worth it. I promise you that. Four-part. I'm
1: looking forward to it. I I was at game six with my dad. Were you? Yep. I mean, I could say that, too.
0: Shea (laughs) Stadium holds, what, 51,000 people? And... 390 million said they were at that game. So yeah, I'll go, yeah. I'll go with it too. Again,
1: this is why it's probably a good thing you weren't in our old MLB. How now. did you,
0: so how old were you when you were at that game?
1: I was 13. 15. Oh, nice.
0: Okay. So you're a little, a couple years younger than me. I was 15, but oh, that, may, I mean, you can't, you can't top that thrill as far as a live
1: uh, event, right? Nope. Not, nothing even close. My brother and I went to game two, Gooden Clemens, and the Mets uh, got destroyed. And my brother said, I don't want to go to game yep. anymore. That wasn't fun. So my dad, who had sat uh, in the car waiting for us in game two, he and I went to game six. And he's a very much at park in the very last spot in the parking lot, so we can be the first one out and leave the stadium to be trafficked. It packed up. We were all ready to go. And I said, Dad, we've got to stay to the end. And he said, Okay, Gabe. We stayed, celebrated. And we were the ones running out of the stadium while everyone was hugging and high fiving. So we could be trapped. But yeah,
0: your brother uh, must resent you to, to like uh, like nobody resents anybody, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I actually never really thought about why he resented me so much until this moment. But maybe maybe this is oh, I'm, I'm
0: glad I can clarify it. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a slam dunk. Yeah, he's that, you're never shedding that.
1: Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, good point. Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up again. But last question. Tell me about the book.
0: The book is called You Can't Lose Them All. I wrote it uh, half over the pandemic and half towards the latter part of last year and it just chronicles like all the the misfits i've met up with over the years and my gambling history back to flipping baseball cards when i was six years old to standing 30 feet behind my aunt chippy at a bowling alley as she played video poker with my newspaper route money and there's a lot of lot of stuff tony romo stories in there money dykstra as i mentioned the earlier is in there we got kicked out of a couple of restaurants but yeah it's been a it's been a crazy uh it's a crazy journey Just gambling and, and everything and luckily for now i have my head above water but you know how that is i can always change that comes out uh that's all order, available for pre-orders
1: Audio book too
0: I think so. We haven't uh, settled back yet. I want to, yeah. What should I do about that? I guess there'll be an audio book.
1: Who's going
0: to narrate? it? Are you going to do it? I might get Guillermo to do it. Jimmy Kimmel's sidekick. I think that'd be
1: funniest. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, all right, yeah. Sal. I, I appreciate it. Good to see you. Thanks, Gabe. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun.
0: And I'm, uh, I'm uh, well, along with your brother, I'm resentful of you for game six. How
1: dare you? Congratulations. <laughs> 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 thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And I, hope we, I hope we can make it up to you someday. Excellent. All right. Thanks all right. for having me. Thanks, Sal. Be well. Take care. Thanks to Cousin Sal and Rich for joining me. And thank you all for listening. I will see you next time between the lines. Cliff, why would you
2: do something like that?
1: It's because I knew that those people had never been in my kitchen.